You are listening to the Passion City Church DC podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, DC, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Today's talk comes from Pastor Ben Stewart. Well, we talked last week about the wonderful, beautiful reality that we exist to know God. That Colossians says that all things are made by him and for him, that at his right hand is fullness of joy, that nearness to him is my good, that the simple call of your life and mine is that we would know Jesus and we would walk with him, draw near to him. A pure and simple devotion to him is why you're here. That's what our text says, rejoice, seek your joy, but rejoice in the Lord Always, and I will say it again, rejoice. The simple call of your life and mine is to know Jesus and enjoy him. And yet I know for many of us in here, you believe that. You're a follower of Jesus and you go, I buy that, but it's a struggle to live with that kind of simplicity. And you say, why? Well, if we have an enemy spiritually, and the Bible says we do, that his plan for many of us in this room is not necessarily to make you believe Jesus isn't good or God doesn't exist or the scriptures aren't true. He's gonna say, you wanna believe that? You believe it. You wanna pursue that? Pursue that. Just make sure you look good while you're doing it. And meanwhile, you better make sure you go to a good college so you can take the right courses and pick the right major so you can get a good job, so you can get the right internship, so you can go to DC. And when you get to DC, get in the right project so you can get on the right team, so you can get the right promotion, so you can be somebody in the world. But then when you get to DC, you realize, oh my gosh, it's expensive to live here. I need to find a house. I need to find a roommate. And then when you see how expensive, you go, I need a lot of roommates to cover this thing. And now there's a problem with that because you go, I got roommate drama coming my way. (laughs) Meanwhile, I'm trying to handle these bills. I'm trying to make a little money. I'm trying to figure out my future. But then I meet somebody. And suddenly I go, I got to take them on dates. And what are tapas? And am I into them? And what is the best rooftop grill these days? And oh my gosh, I got to meet their friends and I got to meet their family. Am I ready to meet their mom? And okay, let's do this. Let's plan a wedding and let's plan a honeymoon and let's plan a life. So do we live in the city or do we get lame and move to the suburbs? And do we have kids? And what about career? And how do I raise the kids? Do we go public school, private school, homeschool? How am I going to solve that? And then meanwhile, I got to let the world know I'm doing good on Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat. Is that still a thing? And meanwhile, it seems Okay, all right, all right, all right. And it's not that anywhere in there suddenly you believe God's not true, Jesus isn't good, the scriptures don't matter. It's just that you lost him somewhere on the way. And the truth is, some of you hear that and you go, what's the answer, Ben? Am I supposed to get rid of some of this stuff? Like, yeah, that's the goal. You just got to ditch some of these kids uh, and you'll be fine. Like, is that what I'm saying? No. And for many of us, let me say this, the problem for many of us, our biggest problems are not our problems. They're our anxiety about our problems. Let me say that again. For many of us, your biggest problem is not your problems. It's your anxieties about those problems that are wrecking your life and keeping you from all you are meant to be under God. As you know him and he knows you and accesses your gifts and uses you to make a difference in the world. Many of us are missing out on that quality of life. Why? Because of the overwhelming anxiety we feel about some of what we've been entrusted with in life. And here's the crazy thing. As you look at that, Jesus warns us about this. 
He says in Matthew 6, he says, don't be anxious. Saying, what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? And then he contrasts, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God. And do you notice he contrasts that? One of your greatest threats to pursuing the kingdom of God is our anxiety about the realities of life. Don't miss that. Jesus presents anxiety as one of your greatest impediments to fulfilling your God-given destiny. He said, it's your anxiety about life that's gonna keep you from your God-given destiny of knowing him and having him tell you who you are and why he gave you those gifts he gave you to make a difference in the world. That for many of us, one of the enemy's greatest strategies to derail you from seeking the kingdom of God is just to fill you with anxiety. And Jesus says it in Luke chapter eight. And this is the thing that worries me about so many of you. He uses this great illustration about the word of God and he calls it like a seed. And he says, man, I wanna plant the seed of my word, my truth about who you are and who I am and what I'm doing in the world. I wanna plant it into the soil of your soul. And as you understand my word, I want it to explode into life and a fruitfulness that will bless others. But he says, but there's a warning. There's things that are gonna threaten that. And one of the greatest threats to the word of life in you is he says, it's weeds that are gonna come up and choke it. And you know what he called those weeds? The worries of life. For many of you, the word of life is being choked out in your soul because of the worries of life. Many of you, you are not who you could be under God because you're too stressed about the things God has given you. It's the word of life being choked by the worries of life. It's one of Jesus's biggest concerns. And the scary thing is all this anxiety we feel is not just a problem in itself, that it is a state of heart and mind that will give rise to many other sinful states. That anxiety will cause problems. That anxiety about grades can lead you to be dishonest in school. There was a study that Rutgers did of 32 universities that showed 74% of business students and 68% of all other students admitted to some form of cheating, which I don't really know why the business students number was so much higher. <laughs> like, do they really cheat more or are they just more honest about it? They're like, of course I cheat. That's, that's how I get ahead. It's, it's my strategy. It's the left lane. That's how I do this, right? For others of us, anxiety about your schedule will lead you to break off your commitments and violate your own integrity and your word. For many of us, anxiety about dating will lead you to compromise and end up in places and with people you really shouldn't be with. Anxiety about your finances can lead people to some real dishonesty and unethical practices. Anxiety about being liked will make you say some of the weirdest, most insecure thing at parties. It'll make you embellish stories. It'll make you disconnected with your own honesty. For many of us, anxiety then starts to create a pathway to addiction. That if I can't deal with this, I will go, and rather than to God, I'll go to a beverage, I'll go to a person, I'll go to a screen to numb the pain. And we have some remedies for anxiety that now become problems and sources of anxiety. And not only that, it can kill you. I remember for me in my 20s, there was one day I was in the shower and all of a sudden I just felt this extreme pain in my chest. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, what is this? Like, like my, felt like my chest was caving in. I was like, what is going on? And I started to try to analyze this. Like, what is happening? And then I thought, is it the barbecue? Because I'd never felt heartburn, but we had had this barbecue in the fridge that had been there like seven or eight days and we kept eating on it, you know, and it was getting risky, but I had done it anyway. And I was like, is this, is it the barbecue? Is it killing me? 
And I said, what a dumb way to die. I was like, no, God, like, I don't want to die. And people were like, what happened to him? He's like, it's the barbecue. He just kept eating on it far past what was reasonable. And they found him dead naked in the shower. I'm like, I don't, I don't want that story. But I made it out of the shower, made it to the doctor. And I remember as I talked to him, man, he began to talk to me. He's like, man, you're just too stressed. And it's affecting your heart and affecting your health. And I realized, wow, just my feelings about things in my life can negatively impact my heart. I went to a dentist and he said, do you know you've cracked your enamel? He said, the casing of your teeth is shattered. You know that doesn't grow back? And I was like, then what do I need to do? And he goes, yoga, some breathing. And I was like, I thought you were gonna recommend a toothpaste. He's like, no, <laughs> you gotta cool out, man. That anxiety can really damage you. And so for many of us, this is an area we have to get grip on because God wants more for you in your life. So let me just ask you, anybody in DC know what I'm talking about? Anybody feel a little anxiety in the room? Yeah, okay, four people. All right, no one in this section. It's very zen back there. Okay, that's great. Well, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus will say it to his disciples in Luke chapter 12. He says, don't be anxious about all these things. And then he says, the world does that. He says, the world is filled with anxiety. He says, but my people are meant to be characterized by a lack of anxiety, by a trust. It's meant to be different for us. And here's the reality. The world is not impressed if we gather in here and sing about the Prince of Peace, but live a life of stress. It's meant to be different than that. So there's a book, The Cities and Bishoprics of Phrygia. And I know you've all read it, but as a <laughs> reminder, uh, there's a chapter about an inscription in Phrygia with a guy's name, Tididios Amarimnos. And most scholars agree that Amarimnos is his baptismal name, that back then when you got baptized, like we did last week, a symbol of I belong to Jesus Christ, they would give you a new name that characterizes your story with him. And they named him Tididios Amarimnos. Amarimnos means not worried about stuff. That's what they named him that when you come to know Jesus, he doesn't just want to free you from guilt and shame and condemnation. He wants to liberate you from worry too. And many of you, you need that today. You need it. So how do we do it? Well, in verse six, Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. Isn't that great? Just before we jump into strategy, let me just say this, and some of you need to hear this. Anxiety is never godly. And here's what I mean by that. God will never ask you to be anxious about something. But some of us feel like that's our obligation as a parent, as a coworker, as a boss, as a leader. I'm supposed to freak out about something. No, you might be supposed to carry something weighty, but that scalp drying, shoulder tensing anxiety, that's not something you're meant to carry. You might need to do important things in the world, but you don't have to carry that body crippling, soul crushing weight. You're not meant to live that way. God will never call you to carry anxiety in your body like that. And that word anxiety in this context, it literally means to be drawn in different directions, preoccupied or distracted. It keeps you from making solid decisions because I can't focus. Some of us, we live there. Very hard to lock in on decisions. This word anxiety in this context is talking about all that being drawn apart by so many different stimuli, all this stuff going on that's keeping me from making good decisions. What are all the things? It can be positive things or negative things. But he literally says, be anxious about no thing. There's no thing we should be anxious about. But rather, it says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Do you see the parallel there? It's beautiful. Be anxious about no thing, but in everything, 
by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. That's the call. Whenever I encounter a thing, I take no thing into anxiety. I'm not meant to wrap it in stress, but I take everything to the Lord in prayer. Now, I know some of you hear that and you go, okay, is this where we get that shallow Christian answer of, oh, you just got to pray about it. And you're like, really, man, is that really what you're about to say? Well, there's a little bit more depth to this, but let me just say, before you knock this theory and write me off, just hold it up against your own. How's that one working for you? Because some people are like, okay, don't be anxious about everything, but in everything, just download a bunch of carbs. Just keep eating them. Is that working for you? Be anxious about no thing, but in everything, jump on social media and just feed that anxiety with how everyone else's life is perfect. How's that going for you? Be anxious about no thing, but go to a screen or a bottle for comfort that can provide no solution. For many of us, the way we're tackling our anxiety is actually soul-destroying. And yet it's interesting, even in secular, non-religious circles now, you see more and more people looking at the physical and psychological benefits of, you know what, there's value to being still, to meditating, to expressing gratitude. Something about stillness and thanksgiving is good for the human soul. And I say, yeah, that's how he made you. They are stumbling into the ancient path that Jesus created for you that I'm not able, meant to be anxious about anything, but with everything, with prayer and supplication, I present my request to God. Now, what does that look like? Well, I'm packing a second, but can I just geek out about the verb for a second? Because I love the way it says it. With everything, it says, let your request be made known. It's not an active verb of opposing it, like you take that request and you make it known. It's a passive. It almost carries the idea that the request wants to get out. It's like for many of us, we wake up during a day and when we show up, we got all kinds of worries just waiting for you at the side of the bed, just dumping into your soul. And you go, man, I'm really concerned about my health. What is that weird pain? Did I just hear something pop? Or man, I'm really messed up about that decision I made yesterday. Or I messed up about some of these other issues in my life. I'm not going to mention that one. That's too real. I'm messed up about different stuff. But for us, we go, you know what? I'm waking up in the morning. I barely got time to get closed and make it to work. So what do we do with all these anxieties? You go, well, what I do is no one really wants to hear this. When someone says, hey, how are you doing? They go, well, I'm actually really stressed about money right now. And I'm brand about, and they're like, I didn't need to know that. So you go, what I do is I just suppress it. This is what the world wants from me. This is what, this is what they need at work. They don't want to hear this from me. How you doing? Good. Handle it. Got it unlocked. I can take anything. Throw something else in the pool, right? And I just press it down deep, stuff it inside. Or we even do it in the church that I've got all kinds of chaos in my life. But when someone says, how you doing? We're like, fantastic. God is good all the time. Hallelujah. Praise his name, right? And we keep trying to press it down. And all Jesus is saying here in this text is, you know what? Stop trying to bury it deep in your soul because it's just going to rip you apart inside. Just let it rise. Let it up. Let it come to the surface. God is not asking you to suppress your legitimate anxieties and then take up his cause in your life like it's another thing on your to-do list. He's saying, no, I want you by prayer. And that word prayer is a very general word. It's create space to be in the presence of God. And he says, just create some space in your life to be in the presence of God. And while you're there, anxieties are gonna start one to come up. Don't stop that. It's not spiritual to go, well, no, I just need to read my Bible. Like, no, start and let them rise. Let them come to the surface. Let them come up on you and go, man, I'm really stressed about my job. But rather than trying to shove that down, I'm gonna acknowledge it. And I'm gonna hand it to you because you just might be able to do something about it. That's what we're meant to do. 
I know for me, I try to create the first few minutes of my devotional time every morning. My mind feels like chaos. And so I remember I watched uh, a video once in high school. Our teacher showed it to us for a whole week uh, in class, and the video was called Madness. It's about different kind of mental disorders. And there was one, it was a story about a guy way back in the day in America that he uh, was working on the railroad and there was an explosion and it drove a railroad spike through his head. Yeah, and he didn't die. Uh, But it severed the part of his brain that kind of regulates what you say to people, right? And so then they reenacted it in the movie, which I don't know if that was a strong choice, but the way they did the movie, it's like he shows up and was like, I would like my job back. And they're like, man, you can't work on the railroad anymore. You got a hole in the front of your face. And he was like, that makes me so sad. <laughs> and angry, I will kill you. And you're attractive. What's your name? Meanwhile, I'm gonna kill you. And then he has the end. He's just like, ah, ah, running around. And that's how I pray now. <laughs> that's literally the first five minutes of my day. I have a journal and I write at the top of it, how do you feel? Which many of you are like, why do you have to, you have to ask yourself that? Yes. Because we tend to want to suppress it and push it down. I was like, I want it to rise up. I want it to rise. It's there. I feel anxious about this. I'm worried about that. I'm concerned about that. So many of us, you have a journal, but you're so worried it's going to be your memoir. So you're just trying to write it like, you know what? There are some challenges today, and yet I will rise above them. Because I'm here. It's like, oh, stop. We're not going to read it. Be real. Because let me tell you what happens. As it begins to rise to the surface, it might surprise you. I'm stressed about this thing at work. I'm stressed about this person. But you know what keeps coming up? I'm really stressed about this one relationship. It's not work in general or this DC. It's that person. I don't want to see that person. They freak me out. Why is that? Well, I don't think they like me. Well, why does that matter? Because I need people to like me. Why? So that I'll like myself. Whoa. That's something else that has nothing to do with work. You're looking for someone in your office to approve your worth? That's something you need to take to God to deal with, not to the office. And many of us, we're showing up with this stuff here and we're short with people, we're impatient or we're down on ourselves or we're weird and we don't know why. And the reality is God's remedy is come to me. Don't suppress it. Don't try to toughen up. Bring it to me. And can that encourage you? He wants to hear it. That's why we come to him with prayer and supplication. Supplication is specific requests. And we do it with thanksgiving. Why with thanksgiving? Because we're not just meditating and trying to center on ourselves. We're bringing these things to God. We're bringing them to the one who has the power to do something about it. And not just the power to do something about it. He wants to. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him. It's a command. God is telling you, take your anxieties, throw them on me. Why? Because I care for you. He said, because I care. I want to know. It's not too little. It's not too small. It does matter to me. I want to know about it. And not just I want to know. Psalm 55, 22 says, cast your cares upon the Lord for he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. He says, I want you to know two things about me. I am strong and I am loving. I want to hear your problems because I care about you. And I want to hear them because I can handle them. And that person can't, and that relationship won't, and that job won't solve it, and that bottle certainly won't. There's all kinds of places you're taking this that will cause problems, not create them, but I am your creator and I can handle it. Put it on my shoulders. I know for me, I remember once with my daughter when she was four years old, I picked her up downstairs to carry her upstairs. And she went, no, daddy. I was like, what do you mean no? And she goes, I'm too heavy. And I first went, okay, whoa, who told you that? And where are you hearing that kind of mess in your life? I said, and then number two, you're not too heavy for daddy, baby. Just to make sure she knew I like picked her up really. <laughs> you're not too heavy for me. 
And some of us, you know, you got broad shoulders. You can accomplish a lot, so you try to carry it all. But for many of you, your quality of life is dropping because you're not meant to carry life like this. You might carry big decisions, but you're not meant to carry anxiety like that. You're meant to take it to him, set him on his shoulders. Be anxious about nothing, but with everything, in prayer, with supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Let it go and thank him that he even wants to hear it, right? It's interesting, George Mueller had an incredible impact on his society in his day, rounding up kids who were orphaned and abandoned and raising them in an orphanage, but tremendous costs at a, gener- at a business that doesn't generate income, all kinds of responsibilities of caring for this ocean of kids with the buildings and their food and all that. And they asked George Mueller once, how do you handle all the stress of what you're doing with such joy? And he said, I rolled 60 cares upon the Lord this morning. And he was quoting the Psalms where it says, cast your cares on him. It's the verb for roll. He said, I took my worries and I rolled them onto him. And so I could function. It's not God trying to free you from decisions. It's God trying to free you up to make good decisions. And many of you, your anxiety is keeping you from making good decisions. They say it in the military, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. But many of you wake up and you go, I'm too busy. And you show up at work and you're like, "Ah, ah, ah, ah," and you're not making great decisions. You're busy, but not productive. You're like an octopus on roller skates. A lot of movement, but not forward. But if you could pause for a second, let your request be made known to God. It may not solve all your problems, but it'll give you the clarity to be able to solve them well. And so for me, I've got to tell you, Abraham Lincoln, this impacted my life, that during the Civil War, as General Lee marched 76,000 troops into Pennsylvania, panic took hold in Washington, D.C., Yet historians record there was a strange calm to Abraham Lincoln at that key moment in our nation's history. And he was asked about it later by a general who was wounded at Gettysburg. And this is what Abraham Lincoln said to him. It says, when everyone seemed panic-stricken, I went to my room, got down on my knees before Almighty God, and I prayed. Soon a sweet comfort crept into my soul that God Almighty had taken the whole business into his own hands. He said, how was he able to function? That he crept away in a sweet comfort. How many of you would love that? Came into my soul that God had taken it into his hands. Did that free Abraham Lincoln of having to make decisions? No, it freed him up to make decisions. It freed him up to lead well. And that's the same with us. And the peace of God that surpasses understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Bad thought, bad actions are fueled by bad thoughts that are fueled by fear in the heart. For many of you, good decisions are gonna come from good thoughts, bolstered with more good thoughts, by a courageous heart will lead you to a good life. I'm talking about some basic seedbed of the way you're gonna live your life. And the reality is I got to come to him with this, trust him with it. And then I love that it says it will guard your heart and your mind. It will guard both from some of the chaos that fear and anxiety will bring. I love that word guard. It's the idea of setting a garrison. It's like a bouncer at a club. That when you cast your anxiety on me, the very peace of God will step in front of your heart like a bouncer. Just put the velvet rope across and just be like, what's your name? Fear? No, you're not welcome here. Hmm? Insecurity, Mm, you've been banished from this club, right? You don't get in here. This person has peace, and that peace liberates them to make good decisions. Now, you hear all that, and you go, okay, Ben, 
Well, let me just say this before I move on. Let me tell you kind of how it works for me. What I've decided to start doing is uh, I had a counselor friend of mine and I had a special forces friend of mine both give me this little monitor that I use and you clip it to your ear and it kind of monitors the distance between your heart's variable heart rate. And so if your heart's scattered and your thoughts are erratic, it just lights up bright red. It kind of goes boom, like you're failing. It's really encouraging. And I was like, okay. But then as you relax, the pitch gets higher and it turns into this nice green color if you're doing really well. So they gave it to me and uh, I just put it on and was literally like centered, bing, turned green. And they're like, how'd you do it? And I'm like, man, I've spent my whole life trying to focus so I could write sermons. I'm like a Zen master. Like I got this, like this thing was green all over the place. I'm like, I got it, man. This is easy. I already won. And so then I took it home and I remember I was trying it in my devotional time. And as soon as I put it on, I heard my son throwing a fit downstairs and it was like, boom, I turned bright red. And I was like, oh, okay. There's some stresses in my life. Or I'd wake up in the morning and all this stuff would start firing, bong, 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 turning red. And so I realized, you know what? I got to change my mind. I can't just release anxious thoughts to the Lord. All this is turning red because I'm worried about stuff. So I'm writing it in my journal. But then I love the way this text reads. It tells you not just to cast off other things. It says, brothers, whatever's true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, anything excellent, worthy of praise, think about those things that I'm casting off this other stuff, but I realize I'm still hitting reds. And then I thought, oh yeah, I got to turn my mind towards beautiful things is what they challenged me to do. So I started thinking, Lord, what's something beautiful and lovely I can think about? And I started thinking about my daughter's laugh. Bing, turn green. I started thinking about the desert because that's where I like to go to escape things. (laughs) Bing, turns green. And I realized, oh man, I can really change the rhythm of my heart and my ability to focus about my problems if I give myself space. Cast my anxieties on the Lord, and then I'm not just emptying my mind, then I fill it up. Whatever is true, lovely, noble, just, I think about those things. So for me, that's when I read my Bible. Some of you, you go, I'm supposed to have a devotional life, so you wake up in the morning, you're so busy for work, so you grab your Bible, and you're like, "Mm, mm, didn't mean anything, okay, let's go. And you're like, you know, that's not really how this works. That, yeah, I'm gonna give myself peace before God, Then when my heart's calm, I'm going to put his word into my heart. It's interesting. Jeremiah Burroughs, the old Puritan, said it this way. And I love the illustration. He says, you don't pour wine into a shaky bottle. Because I love the visual. Go ahead. I'd love a glass. (laughs) Like, nope, 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 nope. Let's still that bottle and then pour wine in. And he says, God has some good things he wants to tell you about himself, about you, about the world. But he doesn't like to pour it into a shaky glass. Give yourself a moment to be still. And then let him pour some wonderful things into your mind and into your life. Or he said, if you have a child that, you, that wants something, and maybe it's a thing you even want to give them, you make them calm down first. I want yoga, I want yoga, I want yoga. Shh, breathe. Count four blue things, okay, dial it down. Now what would you like? May I have some yogurt? Of course, right? I want to give this to you. I just need you to keep, stop freaking out first. For some of you, your prayers are just freak out with amen at the end. Start there, but don't end there. And say, you know what? I'm gonna cast my cares on him. And then whatever is lovely, beautiful, worthy of praise, I'm gonna think about those things. For me, that's how I've had to shift my thinking in my devotional time in the morning. And I do it the same at night. Some of you have trouble sleeping. And those little blue screens, we all know now, disrupt sleep. So does the constant anxiety produced by trying to keep up with everyone on social media. Some of you are like, why am I tired all the time? Why am I irritable all the time? Why am I so upset? And you're like, because you're not sleeping. You're like a baby that's crying. We gotta put you to bed. Get the little screen out of your face. 
go to sleep. And for me, I had to do that. And so I have a different journal at night that's only four lines. And I just record things I'm grateful for that day. I'm glad I met with this person. I'm glad that happened. And then I find something true, noble, honorable, just, and pure to read about. And for me, that's biographies. That's the stories of people who've done something great. And so rather than fueling my mind with anxiety, I put in something just and noble and beautiful. Just finished reading about Abraham Lincoln, on to Frederick Douglass, and it's an amazing way to put yourself to bed, to read about some noble, just, beautiful ways of living life. And as I do that, I find I'm able to function. I know I told the story several weeks ago about me climbing a mountain, Long's Peak, and as we got up to 14,000 feet, it got challenging to climb the rest of this mountain. And as we got up there, my buddy and I felt inequipped. We were anxious, and then a guide found us. And I'll never forget, as he taught us how to breathe right, he looked at us at one moment as we were about to make the final ascent to the top of the highest point in America, and he looked at us and he said, here's the deal, gentlemen. Everything we're about to do, you do on a daily basis on the ground every single day. He said, the only question we're gonna answer right now is can you continue to do the simple thing as the environment amps up the chaos around you? And I never forgot that. I know for me, this is a rhythm I started early in life, casting my cares on the Lord, putting his truth into me, and it helped me function. And then as my life got more intense, I found as I've gotten more responsibility, more leadership, more opportunity, it brings more stress. But the only question that's answered every day is can I continue to do these faithful things as the environment amps the chaos? And what I found is the more I've taken this simple truth, I'm gonna create space to cast my care on you. I'm gonna take up your word and let it sink into my heart. The more I do that, it makes me the kind of person that can carry the kind of weight God wants to entrust me with. And the same is true of you. You're meant to live this way. I cast my care on him. And then what's true? Take a moment and go, what's, what corresponds to reality? What's honorable? What, what's the most respectful, dignified way to treat that person in the office? What would my hero do? What is just? What, what's, a, what's the obligation I could fulfill today that would be completely right before God and all of humanity? What's pure? What's a way I could talk to people that has no duplicity to it? that is not false motives, is sincere? What is lovely? What's an action I could do today that no matter what the world brings, I could do a thing that encourages some other people? What is that thing? What's commendable? What's something I would do that I would hope anyone would do for my kid? What is excellent and worthy of praise? Think about those things. I love that. He says, literally, take them into account. Don't just obsess about the bad things in your life. Take into account the good ones as well. Give yourself a full picture of the life you're dealing with and then that'll encourage you to make good decisions as you move forward. Good decisions are rooted in good thoughts that are bolstered by more good thoughts that are fueled by a courageous heart. And so this is the seedbed of a good life. And then not only do I think these things, verse nine, what I've learned and received and heard and seen, I practice these things and the God of peace is with me. I don't just try to figure out how to think good thoughts. I begin to go, and then how am I going to live these out? How am I going to make these steps? I remember for me, when I, my first job out of college, I was a youth pastor. I didn't know what a youth pastor did. I'd never had a youth pastor. So I did what a lot of you would do. I started asking, who's the best youth pastor you've ever heard of? To a bunch of people. And as they told me, I would go interview those guys. 
And the more I interviewed them, they were like, well, you know what, man? You got to get yourself a good team and you got to rally those people and you got to teach them the culture. And you got to preach every week and you got to really bring the goods and then you got to take them on camps. And so you're going to need a bunch of buses. And you're going to need like five buses to cover 50 kids. And then you're going to have to get the drug dog to check them for drugs. And you're going to have to do just background checks on all these different people. And then when you hire your third videographer for your junior high ministry, and the more they were saying this stuff, the more anxious I got. I'm like, I don't know how to do all this. I don't even know where to start. And so I remember a month in, I quit on a Friday. Felt kind of bad about it Saturday and unquit on Sunday. But I was like, God, I don't even know how to step into all this. And it's freaking me out. And I remember I talked to a guy and he said, Ben, your job's not youth pastor. Your job is to walk with God. And what you do will be the overflow of that walk. And so I woke up the next Monday and I'm like, I don't even know where to start with this work. And then I'm like, yeah, I do. I exist to know God. And so I started reading his word, sort of writing out books of the Bible and I'd wake up every day going, I'm not clear on what to do today. So I would just look at my schedule and go, but I know I'm supposed to know God and I know I'm supposed to make him known in how I treat people. Use the opportunities he gave me and the gifts he gave me to be like Jesus, who was full of grace and full of truth. He was honest with people, he had integrity and he was gracious with people and kind. So I'm gonna start there. And for me, that started with one kid. But then that kid brought a kid. And then suddenly I had a youth ministry of six kids. Look out. And those six kids brought some kids and those kids brought some more kids. And after a while I needed to get some help and needed to figure stuff out. But every day I just kept the same rhythm. I got to cast these cares on him. I got to get into his word to know him. And then I'm going to do my best to make him known by being someone who's full of grace and full of truth. And as we did that, the ministry grew from 30 to 40 to 50 to hundred and on it began to grow. And I got to carry more because I wasn't carrying the stress along with it. That I look at these beautiful things and I start to walk that way. When I start to walk that way, man, the very God of peace is with me. He can change me. I think about this beautiful way of living and I wanna live like that. Release the anxiety and embrace a different way. So Louis Zamperini, many of you maybe read his story in the book Unbroken, was an Olympian, served in World War II, but his bomber went down in the Pacific. He was out on a life raft for 47 days, began to starve out there. When he was finally found, he weighed 90 pounds as a grown man. But he was found by the enemy and put in a POW camp in a particularly harsh one where he routinely saw men beaten, their windpipes fractured, ruptured eardrums, shattered teeth. He saw a man's ear almost get ripped off. And the guy who led the thing took a particular dislike of Louis and singled him out for specific torture. Every day harassing him from sleep, from comfort, introducing pain into his world. How do you function when you're constantly under the stress of somebody that you watch tie a 65-year-old man to a tree for days? It was brutal on Louis Samperini, but he survived. He survived and he made it out. And we wrote a book about it, made a movie about it. He was unbroken, he got home, got back to America. But when you read the book, the most fascinating thing happened. When he got home, he had PTSD. And it struck him bad at a season where people didn't even know how to talk about it. So he started having nightmares, all this kind of anxiety, filling him at night, robbing him of sleep. He would wake up and he was attacking his wife and didn't even know why. So he took it where he knew to take it. He took it to the bottle, began to drink heavily. And he saw his life completely unravel. Survived the BOW camp, but his life did break here at home. And in that moment, at a time of desperation, his wife said, we're gonna leave you. He begged her to stay and she said, your life needs to change. So she took him to a Billy Graham event 
And he heard the evangelist Billy Graham stand up under this big tent on the West Coast and say, you're all sinners and you need the forgiveness of God. And it offended Louis Sambrini. He was like, I'm not a sinner. I'm a good person. I served in the war. He got up and he stormed out. And so his wife said, we're leaving. He was like, "Never mind." He stormed back in and said, what do you need me to do? She's like, go to the next night. So he went the next night and Billy Graham started talking and telling the story about Jesus out in the boat at sea and He said, some of you are lost at sea and you don't know which way to go out there, but God is with you in the storm. And he said, the most fascinating thing happened in that moment. He thought back at his life and he had always thought back about the pain of it, the deprivation, the starvation, the brutality. He said, but as Billy began to talk, he started to think and take into account, not just the horrors, but the good. He said, you know what? I remember asking God on that raft to save me. And now as I sit in this chair in America, I realized he answered it. And I remember as brutal as it was on that raft, I remember at moments looking up at the stars and being absolutely caught in the beauty of it. And he said, it began to impact him. Maybe in the middle of all that pain, God was there in my journey. And Billy began to continue to preach about a Jesus who has purpose for your life and wants to ride with you. And his biographer writes, when he thought of his history, What resonated with him now in that moment was not just all that he had suffered, but the divine love that had intervened to save him. He was not the worthless, broken, forsaken man that his captors had striven to make him. In a single silent moment, his rage, his fear, his humiliation, his helplessness fell away. That morning, he believed, and he was a new creation, and softly, he wept. That didn't solve all his problems, but it positioned him to solve it. He began to steal away and sit under a tree to meet in a quiet place with God. Got sober, got some things out of his life, got some things into it of caring for other people, began to really know God and know who God had made him. At one moment in his life, he just entered fully into ministry. And as he did it, he got to a moment where he had a chance to go back to Japan and not just minister, but minister to his, foreign, his former captors. And as he showed up there, he found out that the man who had tortured him, Matsuhiro Watanabe, had possibly killed himself. People weren't sure. And so Louis wrote him a letter and asked if there was someone that could deliver it to him. And this is what Louis wrote. As a result of my prisoner of war experience, under your unwarranted and unreasonable punishment, my post-war life became a nightmare. It was not so much due to the pain and the suffering as it was the tension of the stress and humiliation that caused me to hate with a vengeance. Under your discipline, my rights, not only as a prisoner of war, but as a human being, were stripped from me. It was a struggle to maintain enough dignity and hope to live until the war's end. But it was the post-war nightmares that caused my life to crumble. I love that because he didn't have to pretend any of that doesn't exist. You can name the difficulty, and he named it. What you did was wrong, and what I experienced was crushing. God wants you to be honest about the pain. He says, those post-war nightmares caused my life to crumble. But thanks to a confrontation with God through the evangelist Billy Graham, I have committed my life to Jesus. Love has replaced the hate I had for you. Jesus says, forgive your enemies and pray for them. As you probably know, I returned to Japan and was graciously allowed to address all the Japanese war criminals at Sagamo Prison. 
I asked them about you and was told that you had probably committed suicide, which I was sad to hear. At that moment, like those other men, I also forgave you. And I would hope now that you would also become a Christian. Isn't that amazing? His punisher. He is now not just pursuing justice, but something commendable, excellent, beautiful, and worthy of praise. I wasn't unbroken. I did break. And yet I took that brokenness to the one whose shoulders could carry it. The one who carried my brokenness to the cross, bore the sin and shame of it, entered that grave, and then rose triumphant. And when Louis put his faith in Jesus, he exchanged that anxiety for the peace of God. And not just the peace of God guarding his heart. It says when you dwell on these things, think about these things, practice these things, you not only get the peace of God, it says the God of peace is with you. That God is with me and that God is changing me. And I want to think about the beautiful things he did when he saved me. I want to think about the commendable things he could do with even my life. I want to step into and practice the things I've heard and seen him do, like forgiving my enemies and praying for those who persecute me. And a broken life can become a beautiful life as I cast my cares on him and take up his cause into me. That's what's offered to us in Christ Jesus. It's in Jesus not just in the techniques of meditation, but in meditating before the one who can make a difference in your life. Not just in learning to calm down, but to calm down in the hands of the one who can carry your problems and carry you. So John Patton was a missionary to the New Hebrides, very dangerous place to go. Every other missionary there had died, been murdered by the people there that regularly practiced cannibalism. They practiced infanticide. They would murder widows so that she could serve her husband in the afterlife. That as he saw this tribal culture on that island, he said they were completely held captive by fear and their animistic religion. But he showed up to make a difference in their life and tell them about a God of grace and truth. They resisted it at first. And if you read his biography, it's like an action movie. People shooting at him, throwing hatchets at him. It gets crazy. At one point, he was in a hut. A tribe surrounded him to kill him. And he realized, I got no weapons. I wouldn't use them on them anyway. God, I'm ready to meet you. I entrust my life to you. He opened the hut, walked out as they surrounded him. He just decided to rebuke them for being inhospitable. <laughs> you guys have been so rude. And it caught him off guard, confused them. So they apologized <laughs> and then offered to kill for him. And he was like, no, that's not what I, okay, you know what? Baby steps, just take one step at a time. Let's start there. But as he began to minister among those people, there were different days, different challenges, different difficulties. One day he thought he was gonna die. He heard they were coming to attack him that night. And a friend who was maybe a friend told him to hide in a tree. But he wrote about this moment in his journal I heard the frequent discharging of muskets and the yells of the people. But I sat there among the branches as safe as in the arms of Jesus. Never in all my sorrows did my Lord draw nearer to me and speak more soothingly in all my soul than when the moonlight flickered among those chestnut leaves and the night air played on my throbbing brow as I told all of my heart to Jesus. Alone but not alone. If it be to glorify my God, I will not grudge to spend many nights alone in that tree, to feel again my Savior's spiritual presence, to enjoy his consoling fellowship. 
Then he asks us the question, if thus thrown back upon your own soul, alone, all alone, in the midnight, in the very embrace of death itself, do you have a friend who will not fail you then? And I'm here to tell you today you do. It's a Jesus that could heal Louis Zamperini, a Jesus that could empower Paul, a Jesus that could change you and me if you'd come to him. Your anxiety does not need to dominate your story. And I know there's realities with medication and counseling, and I'm not against any of that. But the reality is the bedrock we stand on as we share our struggles with each other is we have a God who loves us, that wants us to cast our cares on him and then find peace in him, in Christ, thinking about him, walking with him into all he has for us. That peace is there for you. That friend is there for you. Let me pray for us. Lord, I believe there's some people in here tonight, today, that God, what they need most today and what maybe they're realizing for the first time they need is not just an answer to that roommate problem or an answer to that work problem or where I'm supposed to live problem. What they need underneath it all is you. They don't just need the peace of God, they need the God of peace. And friend, if that's you, let me tell you the good news. You don't have to climb your way up to him tonight. He has come down to you in the person of Jesus. That the peace of God guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Not those of us who try to act like our lives are unbroken, but those of us who admit that they are. And say, Jesus, I need you to heal me. I need you to forgive me. I need your perfect life to count for me, your death to count for me, to forgive and redeem me so I can walk in peace with you. What you did for Louis Zamperini, do for me. And if that's you, I wanna challenge you, friend, to tell him even now, I want in. If you're rescuing people, rescue me. If you're forgiving people, forgive me. I wanna come home to you. And then for those of us who know him, or maybe you don't and are still wrestling with him, I want to challenge you even now to ask him, God, could you give me a vision of what it would look like to begin to create space in my world to let my request be made known to you? Are there places I can steal away to pour out my heart? Where is my chestnut tree I can sit in and feel the consolation of your presence in my soul. Maybe it's your headphones in on the metro. Maybe it's a park bench outside your office. Maybe it's your breakfast nook. What would it be to just take a chance at believing this might be the remedy that we need? encouraged by today's talk be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on itunes spotify or wherever you stream your podcasts to experience other talks videos and live gatherings visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the passion movement app and again thanks for listening to the passion city church dc podcast